We're just so thankful for the chance to worship Jesus with you and to start our brand new message series, uh, which, is, which is all about redemption. We're going to look at some stories of how God changes lives. We're going to look at several stories from the Old Testament uh, before Jesus was born, several stories from the New Testament. In fact, today we're actually going to start in the Old Testament. And this one's going to be a little bit different in the sense it's not just a story of an individual, but it's actually a metaphor that God uses uh, to call the nation, to call his people uh, back to him. And we're going to look at their response. It's one of the more famous metaphors in the Old Testament. Uh, In fact, we've got a video that kind of just tells the story as it comes from Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a prophet. Remember, it's his job to hear from God and to share God's word with the people. Uh, So let's watch this video and see how God spoke to Jeremiah this day. I went to the potter's house today and found him working in his shop. As the clay spun on the wheel, his hands became intertwined with his creation. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped, because the clay was unsuitable for his design. So he crushed it back into a lump and started over. I realized that what the potter can make depends on the quality and purity of the clay. So if the clay becomes dry and too hard, it makes it difficult to shape and form. As I stood there watching the potter work, God spoke something to me. He said, Can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? Can I not mold and shape you into the design I want? As the clay is in his hands, so are you in my hands. As I thought about what God said, I realized something. What God shapes his people into can depend on our response to his refinement. To truly become the masterpiece God intended, we have to cooperate by letting him mold us into his design. As I left the potter's house, my prayer was this. Lord, you are the potter. We are the clay. All of us are the work of your hands. So have your way in us. Amen. I love that metaphor. God is the potter and we are the clay. We're the clay in his hands. You will even sing a song about this uh, later here in our service. Maybe a metaphor that, that you've heard before, and I think it's such a powerful one. You know, it's a word of both judgment and hope. Because as Jeremiah, as, as he's watching this clay initially, you'll notice that it's not what God intends it to be. It's not what the potter intends it to be. There's a problem. And the Bible doesn't tell us really all the details of what that problem exactly was, but it tells us that the potter decides, you know, he's not he's seeing this shape up not in the way he wants, so he smashes it back down and he reworks it to be exactly as he wants it to be. And so then God speaks to his people and he says this, uh, verse 6, O Israel, can I not do that to you, do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hands, so you are in my hand. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom has to be uprooted, torn down, or destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. 
if I announce that I will plant and build up a certain nation uh, or kingdom, but that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me, I will not bless it as I said I would. Okay, so God gives kind of a contrast here. He says, you know, I can be intending to punish a nation, but if they turn towards me, I can relent and not do that. But I can also be intending to bless a nation, but if they choose to go their own way and do their own thing, I can choose then to punish them. It's, it's basically a look at our free will and saying that, that God gives us free will. It's an amazing thing. The creator of the entire universe allows you and me to make decisions of how we live our lives. You're here today because you chose, or someone else chose for you, that you're going to be here. You weren't forced into it by God. You weren't shoved here. Uh, You have a right to choose. God gives us that free will. And going all the way back to Moses, God had made a covenant with his people, and he had brought them out of slavery. He had saved them from their captors. He put them in this wonderful land. He promised to bless them and all these wonderful things, contingent on the fact that they obeyed him. It was a covenant where God had responsibility and they have responsibility. And if they weren't faithful, then they wouldn't receive these blessings that God had for them. Now, at the time Jeremiah is hearing this, Uh, Long ago, the nation of Israel has been split into two, Israel and Judah. And they had a civil war that had divided them. And the people of Israel and Judah both struggled a lot to follow the Lord. There would be seasons where they would do this and they would do things well. But most of the time, they would kind of be oscillating between following God and following idols. And some of the time, they would just be outright following idols with little to no attention being paid to God. Well, in Israel, this had happened so badly that they had been conquered by the Assyrians. Basically, God finally said, you know what, if you want it your way, okay, here's what happens your way. You want to have sin and you want to have it your way, well, this is, this is what happens. So now the people of Israel have been hauled off into captivity. The people of Judah there in Jerusalem, they remain in surrounding areas. And they've seen this happen, but yet their hearts are still hardened. Even after seeing this happen, uh, they still don't seem to be making this connection with, with this sin and, and God's punishment. You know, we do this kind of thing too. We tolerate our own sin in our lives sometimes, we say that we make excuses, right? Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm, I'm at least better than my neighbor or my brother or my friend. I, it's not that big of a deal. Is, you know, really, does this, even, does this even matter? I know what God's Word says, but I kind of I want to do it my way. Let's take a tangible example, something that's easy to count, money, right? So, like with our money, God gives us some instruction in the Bible as to how to use it, right? Um, he, he instructs us in, in Proverbs uh, to save, right? To be wise. We don't spend it all on us. We need to save. We need to invest. We need to plan for the future. He also calls us to be generous with others, um, to, to give, uh, to put the Lord first in, in our finances, and, and He will bless us. He promises to do that. So if I choose to ignore all that, and I choose just to use my money on myself and and my own entertainment, my own fun, and whatever I feel like, and I don't really save, I don't really give, 
then financial hardship happens, right? As it sometimes does. And, and maybe I don't have enough money to pay the bills or things aren't going so well, and, and I find myself getting mad, right? Say, God, how can you, how can you let this happen, right? How, how can you do this to me? And God's like, well, John, I told you to save. I told you to be generous, to do these things, and then I would bless you. You kind of ignored all that. It's kind of like the kid who the mom tells him, hey, don't touch the hot stove, right? And the kid goes and touches the hot stove, and they're like, mom, how could you let this happen to me? Why, why would you let me get burned like that? Well, we kind of warned you, you know? And this is what God's doing with God's people. God give, gives them a warning so they can be redeemed. He says, hey, you're like this clay in my hands, and if I can reshape you if you're like this clay in my hands. Well, listen to what the people say back to Jeremiah, to how they respond to this. Verse 11, Therefore, Jeremiah, go and warn all of Judah and Jerusalem. Say to them, this is what the Lord says, I'm planning disaster instead, for you instead of good. So turn from your evil ways, each of you, and do what is right. But the people replied, don't waste your breath. We will continue to do, to live as we want to, stubbornly following our own evil desires. Wow. That's a pretty direct rejection, right? Hey, Jeremiah, shut it, okay? We don't need your little talking about our sin. We don't need your little talking about judgment. We don't want to hear it. We want to do what we want to do. We want to live the way we want to live. There's a reason we do these things, and we're going to keep on doing them. We don't need you bothering us about this stuff. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? I mean, they had seen what had happened to the people of, of Israel, and here they're like, you know what? We're going to do the same exact thing. But I wonder, I wonder if something deeper is happening here. Perhaps... Perhaps they believed they lacked the power to be any different. Perhaps they thought this is just how life is. I mean, maybe they looked at this pottery thing and they're like, well, God's the potter. We don't really get much control. But that would be a mistake because God was very clear. He was very clear that if, if I'm going to punish somebody but they turn and do what's right, I won't punish them. Okay? And, and if I'm going to bless somebody but they choose to go the other way and do what's wrong, then I will punish them instead. Like God's clear, it's our actions that bring these things apart, it's, or bring these things about. It's our use of our own free will that, that causes these things to happen. I wonder sometimes if we do these, if we do certain things, we get stuck in these patterns, and maybe it's a little bit more about the way we see ourselves. I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago. Uh, pa- Pastor Craig Groeschel from Life Church was on it. And Craig said it this way. He said, you do what you do because of how you think of you. You do what you do because of how you think of you. In other words, our actions, our behaviors, and our, our thought process, our self-image, it's all connected. Your behavior is not just random. Okay? You don't just do things like totally out of your control. It's, it's, it's intentional, and it's really rooted in the way that you see yourself. Like, let's use work for an example. Let's say that you're a person who, um, you're, you're pretty good at what you do, and so you've got, and you've got some good confidence in that. Not arrogance, but good confidence. 
And, and so a promotion comes up, a new opportunity that might be just the right thing for you. What are you going to do? Well, you're probably going to apply for it. Because you say, you know what, I, I know I might not get it, and that would be disappointing, that would be a bummer, but why not, right? Like, I'll never know if I don't try. So you put yourself out there, and you apply for it. Now, let's say that you don't get it. If you're a person who maybe lacks confidence, like lacks that, that confidence in yourself, you might say something like, well, I didn't really want it anyway. Like, I, didn't, I don't need that now. It's, I'm fine, I'm fine. Where deep down inside, you're not. You're not. It hurts. It's disappointing. Where if you're a person with some more confidence, you might go to your boss and say, hey, um, uh, I'm disappointed I didn't get that. I'm wondering, what could I change? What could I work on so that next time something like this comes up, maybe I would be a better candidate, right? You do what you do because of what you think of you. If you see yourself as somebody who's good at this and you're confident in it, okay, I can keep working, I can keep building more skills, I, I can get there. Or if you see yourself as somebody who's maybe not so qualified, not so whatever, it's easier to either not try or then not try to get better as a result of the bad news. You do what you do because of what you think of you. And I wonder if this is true for sin as well. If you look at yourself and you say, you know what, I, I mess so many things up and I, I just... I, I, want, I want to be different, but I, I can't do it. I've tried a lot. It just it doesn't work. You, you don't understand, John. It's, this is what my family does. This is what my great-grandma did and my grandpa did and, and my mom does. It's what I do, right? It's just it's how we are. It's how we are in this family. Or maybe you've just disappointed yourself and others so many times. You just quit trying. You do what you do because of what you think of you. You see, what if we thought differently? What if you looked at the facts that God says, which is that if you give your life to Jesus, that you are adopted into God's family, that you are God's own daughter or son. The Bible says that when God looks at us, that he sees his own righteousness like clothed on us, not, not the mess that we make of ourselves. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he took your sin and my sin, and he took them on his body, and he paid the price for that sin. So now when I give myself to Jesus, I'm different, I'm changed, I'm free, I can be redeemed, I can be saved. And so when I look at myself, I don't just say, oh, well, there's no hope. Yeah, I know, if it's just up to me, there's not a lot of hope. But it's not just up to me. It's Jesus who changed my life. It's Jesus who saved me. And, and he's the one who paid the price for my sin. And, and he fills me with the power of his Holy Spirit. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So I don't need any longer to be a slave to sin. Why? Because I'm a child of God. And because, because I can learn how to live by watching my dad, right? By watching God. By watching how Jesus lived when he came to this earth. And I can be empowered to live differently because he fills me, he fills you with the Holy Spirit. So life can be different. There's hope. There's hope in this passage because you see, much like that jar, if, if my life is not shaping up, if I'm making some choices that are not congruent with God's will, that when I put my heart, life in God's hands and say, Lord, take me and shape me and use me, he, he may smash that back down. It may hurt sometimes. I don't always like to be changed. I don't always like to be worked on. But the potter doesn't take that clay and chuck it on the ground, right? Say, so, you know what? That's useless. It's a failure. 
I'm getting new clay. Nope. He just smashes it back down and rebuilds it. So there's hope for people like me and you who mess stuff up. But when we give our lives to Jesus, we can be saved, we can be different, we can be changed. That's the hope. That's the hope. The reality is, though, if we don't, if we choose to reject him, if we choose to go the way the people of Israel or people of Judah went here, it doesn't work out well. In fact, God, see, he doesn't force his way into our lives, but he lets us deal with the consequences of our sin. We're going to see what happens in uh, Jeremiah 19, just a couple chapters later, when the people have rejected God. Remember, they said, hey, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to change. This is how we are. Well, let's see what God says to them. Verse, chapter 19, verse 1. This is what the Lord said to Jeremiah. Go and buy a clay jar. Okay, so we had clay before. Now we've got a clay jar, a finished product that he's going to go buy. Then ask some of the leaders of the people and the priests to follow you. Go out through the gate of broken pots to the garbage dump in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and give them this message. Okay, so we have like the complete opposite end of the field trip here, right? First time around, we went to the potter's house to see clay being shaped into beautiful jars. Now we're going out the gate of broken pots. (laughs) Like this is where all the trash goes. This is where all the jars go that are, that are broken. This, and it wasn't just pottery. It was like, this is where the people would take, the, take their waste. Now, this place has been excavated by archaeologists, and they found it was true. They used it for that. But it was also for more than that. And if I, if I would have read the preceding chapters, you'd see this, that the people used this area as a place to practice idolatry. It was a place where the people would go outside of town. They might worship God there in Jerusalem, but they would go outside of town and they would worship these idols. And they uncovered uh, altars that they had built to these idols. In fact, tragically, they uncovered a place where they would even sacrifice their own children. The audacity. Like, you can't get farther away from God than, than this place, okay? That's where Jeremiah takes them. And he takes them with this nice new clay jar that he's brought out, he's brought with them. And here's the reason why. Verse 10. As these men watch you, Jeremiah, smash the jar you've brought. Then say to them, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. As this jar lies shattered, so I will shatter the people of Judah and Jerusalem until there is or beyond all hope of repair. Then they will bury the bodies here in Topeth, the garbage dump, until there is no more room for them. Wow. It's a devastating image when you think about it. At the potter's house, there was hope. The clay could be messed up, but don't worry, we can smash it back down, we can rebuild it, we can make something beautiful. But here, no. This jar can't be built into anything else. Because there's a big difference in the clay at the potter's house and this jar. You see, the jar was made in the same way, but then it was placed into the kiln. It was, it was fired there. It was heated up to very hot temperatures, and thus it was hardened. And it can't be reshaped anymore. And in this particular metaphor, that fire is not a good thing. That hardness is not a good thing. 
Because once that jar has been fired in that way, it is done. It is the way it is. If it's imperfect, you smash it. There's nothing else you can do with it. Whereas clay is very different than that. And so the, God is comparing the people to this because they've made it clear that's what their hearts are like. We don't want to hear your word, God. We don't want to hear Jeremiah talk about it. <laughs> Just shut it. We're done. We're, we're out. This is what you guys look like. It's a jar. I don't know how much experience you have with clay jars, but if you drop them, they don't bounce, okay? <laughs> They're very fragile. I was going to illustrate this for you, but I would have made a mess, so I'm going to rely on a YouTuber who makes himself famous through this video here by breaking clay pots on the ground. It's amazing uh, talent he has, right? You, <laughs> you notice they don't bounce, right? You can smash them with other jars. You can drop them on the ground. They still break. Smash them with a hammer. You can hit them with an anvil. You can even run over them with your car. They, it's pretty predictable, right? A hardened clay jar is not flexible, okay? There's your science experiment of the day. It's how it is. Now, there's an amazing contrast, though, isn't there? We've got, the, on the one hand, this clay that is so soft and malleable in the potter's hand. It can become anything that the potter can create it to be. And then on the other hand, you have this jar. It is what it is. It's not changing. It's going to be that way. You try to change it, you're just going to break it. Clay and pottery are two very different things. The raw material is the same, but the outcome is very different. And we have a choice, my friends. We have a choice as to the condition of our hearts. Back to that free will business. You can choose to have a soft, malleable heart, or you can choose to have a very hardened heart. It's really up to you. It, it really is. I can't choose that for you. Your parents can't choose that for you. Your kids can't choose that for you. It is your choice. What will you have your heart be? Oftentimes, we choose hardened hearts probably for a variety of reasons. One of them is because Clay is messy. Pottery is very clean, right? And it's messy being this moldable thing in the potter's hands. It's less predictable. It's less knowable what will be, right? And it takes faith. It takes trust to say, Lord, here I am. Have thine own way. You are the potter. I'm the clay. That takes trust in the potter. What if the potter shapes me into something I don't want to be? What, what, if, what if I wanted to be this and the potter makes me that? Do I really trust the potter? And so some of us were like, well, I don't know if I can just put my life into God's hands. What if he calls me to do something hard? What if he calls me to forgive that person I hate? What, what if he calls me to be generous? Would I want to keep it all for me? What if he calls me to, to share his word with somebody? What if he calls me to invite somebody to church? What if he calls me to... Be kind to that person that everybody else picks on. That all sounds scary. Maybe I'd rather just stick with this hard heart. Stick with doing it my own way. Clay is different, right? Clay is malleable. Pottery is rigid. Sometimes when it comes to our, when it comes to our core ways of operating, we don't tend to love change there. 
We kind of do what we do and we like the way we do it. We may even accept the fact it's not the best way or the right way, but it's what we're comfortable with. It's what we're cozy with. It's what we've done maybe for years or decades. Maybe it's what our family's done for generations. And, and we may know that it's not the best. We see people pass down habits and hang-ups, all these things, generation after generation after generation, that they all know it's not the right thing, but it's so hard to change. It's scary. What if God called us to something different? But friend, he calls people like you and me to be clay in his hands. And so it begs the question, do we trust the potter? Do we trust the potter enough to put our lives into his hands and say, have your way, Lord. Have thine own way. Not too long ago, I had the opportunity to go down to Asbury University in Kentucky. Um, you, you, some of you may have heard before, uh, but recently there's been just this great like outpouring of God's Spirit there. There's been this revival happening there. Bill referenced it earlier as well. That it basically happened when one day at their, they have chapel service a few times a week, and one day after chapel, some students just stayed, and they kept on singing, and they kept on praying. Some began to confess sins, and more and more people started coming in, and, and they didn't leave, and they were there all day, and through the evening, and through the night, and this just continued on. It, I went to Asbury Seminary, which is right across the street there from the university. They're pretty tightly uh, connected institutions, and I can tell you I'm not surprised because this place, it, it has it in its DNA. Like, um, great revivals broken out at this place before, back to 1970, some others in, in between. And it's so powerful because they don't try to manufacture it or make it. They don't try to force God to do something. There's just this kind of general attitude. Lord, if you want to work here, do it. <laughs> Tell us what you want to do and do it. Here we are. We want to be this clay in your hands. And it was amazing to watch. I mean, as, as I was there, it's just, it was nothing fancy. Uh, in fact, they were very intentional. They told you, please don't live stream this. Please, you know, we don't want all that. We're not looking for that stuff. They had folks come and want to do, they had national media wanting to come and do stories, and they said, hey, please don't come. Like, we, we're not looking for that. We're just wanting to worship the Lord. He's just showed up here in a powerful way, and we just want to do that. It's all we're here for. We're not trying to make a platform or raise money or any of that stuff. We just want to worship the Lord because he's really close right now. And we don't know why he's chosen to do this, but we want to be faithful. It was led by college students, right? The 18 to 22-year-olds, right? Who It was amazing to watch as they just kept putting themselves in God's hands. And God used them. God used them and met them in powerful ways. And, you know, I, the thing that excites me the most is that, as I think of that, that you've got here, you've got your next generation of church leaders, right? There's going to be churches changed for generations by these people. One of them might be your pastor someday, and they're going to tell you about how God changed their life when they're 18 years old there. And God just came and moved in power. Have thine own way, God. And sometimes God chooses to do it in big and powerful ways like that. Other times God is that still, quiet voice. Maybe it's through a song. Maybe it's through your quiet time with the Lord. Maybe it's right now. 
that God chooses to speak and to say, hey, I love you. I care about you. I made you. And you can be different. I want to mold you into something greater than you could ever imagine. I want to touch you by the power of my Holy Spirit. I want to change your life. I want to shape you. And we have a choice. Do we say yes? Do it, Lord. Whatever you want, here I am. Take me, use me. Or do we say, no, that must be for somebody else. That must be for the super spiritual or whatever. No, it's not me. It's not true, friends. If we seek him, we will find him. We will be found in him. So we're, we're going to pray here. And maybe for some of you, you've never made this decision to, before to follow Jesus. Maybe you say, you know, I, I don't know that I'm really a child of God. I, honestly, I've never gotten into that stuff. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and, and you can pray right along with me. Ask Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord, to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life and to cleanse you. He will do just that. It's a miracle of God. He does every time that we ask. Or maybe for you, you're here and you're like, yeah, I made that decision. I made it maybe a long time ago, but if I'm honest, I'm, this heart's gotten pretty hardened over time. I've been through a lot. Stuff's been done to me. I've done stuff. And I've kind of given up on the idea I could be different. I think I'm kind of just coast into the end here. But you can be different by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the miracle of it all, that when we place our life in His hands, that He can, that which was hardened, He can soften because we've given ourselves to Him and He can reshape us and use us. You don't have to be stuck, friend. So come, Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do. I don't have anything of value to add to your work. It's just you. You say, Lord Jesus, that if you are lifted up, that you would draw all people to yourself. So Lord, we exalt you. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the creator of the universe. You have made every person here in this room, every person online, and you're drawing all of us to yourself. Jesus, I praise you that you came down from heaven, that you went to the cross and you took my sins, our sins, on your body when you went to that tree. That you stretched out your arms in love for me, for us. Thank you, Jesus. It's a gift I don't deserve. A gift I could not earn. But it's a gift I want to receive. So would you come into my life? Would you change me? Would you save me? Would you be the Lord, the leader, each and every day? Would you help my heart to be like that soft clay?
in your hands. And Lord, I pray for every heart in here that has become hardened. I pray for the one who resonates with that thought that I don't need to hear it anymore. I pray for the one who even regretted walking in this place today. Would you let them know right now how much you love them? Would they feel your arms around them? Whether they're sitting at home or whether they're here or wherever they are. Tangibly, God, let them know that you're real. Would you let them know that there's forgiveness and there's hope? That if any person be in Jesus Christ, that person is a new creation. The old is past and the new has come. Do a new work, God. Do a new work in our hearts. Do a new work in our lives. Do a new work in our families. Do a new work in our church. Do only what you can do, God. We're not here for us. It's all about you. We just want to be soft clay in your hands. Mold us and make us your way. Because we trust you, God. You're worth it. And you are worthy of it all. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' holy name.